The following is my interview with Oxford DPhil student Nisetu Tabao Vidal. We discuss his research into fermions, Einstein's principle of locality, formalizing constructor theory, and other related concepts. I hope you enjoy. All right, I'm here with Nisetu Tabao Vidal. Before we get into your research, let's clarify a few concepts. In physics, we have dynamical laws of motion, such as those of general relativity and those of quantum mechanics, but we also have principles, like the principle of conservation of energy. What's the difference between laws and principles? Right, uh, that's a great question. Thanks for, for inviting me. Um, so to answer the question, this question, first of all, um, we have to say that both are laws of physics. So both are constraints that we have to reality, are constraints that we put to reality. The only difference is in sort of like the hierarchy between these two types of physical laws. So principles are higher in hierarchy in some sense, um, but also in if, if you're thinking in another way, um, they are lower. Let me explain myself. Um, they are higher because they are able to provide a more general scope of view of physics. So the restrictions that they put on reality are like not that strong. So um, you are able to have several dynamical laws for each principle. While on the other hand, dynamical laws are very specific. Basically, they are exactly telling you what the system uh, is doing. Um, they pinpoint exactly the behavior of reality. While principles, uh, for example, the principle uh, of, conservation, uh, of conservation of energy, you can have several dynamical laws that adhere to that. For example, uh, quantum mechanics adheres to that, but also classical mechanics adheres to that for general relativity. So principles are more general. Um, they provide you also with more intuition of uh, how to find new laws. Uh, new dynamical laws. So they guide discoveries. For example, I'm thinking in uh, the discovery of the neutrino because they found in the experiments that the principle of conservation of energy was being violated. Therefore, some people said this cannot happen. So we propose a new type of particle and it behaves this way. So it guides, like it pushes forward the knowledge in physics also uh, leading to discoveries of new dynamical laws. Um, so yeah, basically, it's just a distinction that physicists made, but both they are laws of physics. Um, but one, it's like very specific and it has a very strict mathematical formalism, while the others uh, can have different interpretations mathematically or can be formulated differently depending on which dynamical laws you are uh, seeing if the principle holds or not. Now, you've been applying Einstein's principle of locality to physical systems in your research. So before we get into that, what is Einstein's principle of locality? Okay. Um, Einstein's principle of locality is uh, one, one principle that uh, a lot of people believe that quantum mechanics um, does not hold, but that anybody who does physics uh, or has some intuition of how reality works expects to be true. Uh, so it can be broken in two. 
basically. Um, one, uh, so it has basically two parts. One, it's that basically tells that reality can be divided in systems. So for example, I can say that uh, I, I have a glass here of water and that this is a chair and that they are different objects and they are not like part of a whole that, okay, they are part of a whole, but they are not, you do not see them, you can see them as independent. But the crucial part is that you understand that the properties of the glass of water or the properties of the chair only depend on the constituent parts of the glass of water. So the, the properties of the glass of water cannot depend on if the chair is up or down. This would make no sense. So this is the first part, which basically it says a uh, world can be divided into subsystems and the properties of the subsystems only depend on things that are in those subsystems. Um, this is first. Then the second part, which is less controversial, uh, is what everybody more or less one studies like uh, physics in high school or like flying balls or this sort of stuff. Um, it's like also very familiar, which is basically that if I twist something here, if I twist some notch here, this cannot have an instantaneous effect in Mars or uh, here in the US where you Logan are. Um, so when you have two subsystems, one can only affect the other if they are touching or if they are really close neighbors. And in this way is, for example, how gravity works or how electricity works. So you have a charge or you have some system. And the way we explain the influence of this system to another, uh, to a, a separate system, is that there is something in between that mediates this uh, behavior. So this notion that mediators should exist and that things do not happen instantaneously between, uh, that things do not affect each other instantaneously uh, where, when they are far apart, um, is the second part of the Einstein principle of locality, which it's, has to do with how things move, while the first one has to do of how things can be described. And you've shown that fermions conform to the principle of locality. So what are fermions and why was this a significant achievement? Okay, I will break this question, I think, into. Uh, first, I will explain, I, I try to, I'll explain a bit uh, what are fermions and then I'll, I'll explain um, why I think the, this is a significant achievement. Um, so fermions are one of the two types of constituent particles in the world. Um, more or less, like in a broad sense. Uh, basically, you can have two types of particles. Uh, one that is called fermions and the others that are called bosons. Um, fermions are, is one of the, these two types. And these two types are so-called indistinguishable particles. So let's perform like some sort of recreation of what I mean by indistinguishable particles. So by indistinguishable, what we mean is that if I have two fermions, okay, uh, for example, electrons are fermions, okay, so let's speak about electrons. Uh, if I have two electrons, 
they have the same mass, they have the same charge, uh, they have the same spin. So all the properties are the same, but not only that, they are the same in the sense that um, you cannot track them in the sense of if I go to you, Logan, and I place two electrons in front of you, okay? And you say, do perform every measurement you want, like you can do whatever you want, okay? But now you just turn around and I will have the choice of either interchanging them or not, okay? So I can flip both uh, electrons in front of you, but, and then I allow you to perform, you turn around again, and then I allow you to perform uh, any measurement, whatever you want to them, okay? Um, they are indistinguishable because you cannot know if I have performed the flip or not, only by looking at the Fermi. So uh, in this sense, they are indistinguishable that if you flip them, you do not um, under, like know if you have flipped them or not. Okay, now uh, let me explain what is the difference between uh, bosons and fermions. So for bosons, what we know is that when I perform this flip, exactly nothing happens. The state of the system is exactly the same under this flip, okay? Um, for fermion, it's not the same. Uh, it changes a property, but this is a property that it cannot be measured. This puzzles a lot of uh, people who think about physics, especially in philosophical terms or what is the interpretation of this. Um, but for fermions, if you flip them, you get them an extra minus one sign that every time that you interact with this system, it becomes irrelevant. It doesn't matter if the minus one sign is there or not. So that is why you cannot know if I have performed the flip or not. But the fact is that if I flip them, the minus one sign is there. And everyone expects the minus one sign to be there, but like nobody can detect it under uh, like, and it's not because we do not have the capabilities of detecting the minus one sign. It's like, it cannot be detected. Like mathematically it can be seen. So this is the difference between fermions and bosons that when you flip them, fermions, you get this minus one sign that you cannot directly measure. Um, so since this minus one sign, it's gathered uh, in the whole system. There is this notion um, that you cannot know, uh, like you cannot describe this minus one sign only in terms of my left fermion and my right fermion. But you have to talk about this minus one sign as part of the whole. So it's expected that it was expected that the Einstein's principle of locality was, it would be more difficult to even put it for fermions. Uh, people, most physicists uh, still do not know that quantum mechanics adheres to the regular quantum mechanics with uh, qubits, uh, adhere to the Einstein's principle of locality. But even when you talk to them about what if fermions uh, adhere, adhere, to, adhere to it or not, um, they would say to you, oh, but what about this minus one sign? This is completely global, you cannot describe it. So I think it's very significant because we have been able to say, um, no, no, you can grasp that and you can make it adhere to the Einstein's principle of locality. And you did this without using the tools from constructor theory, correct? 
Yes. So why then is it important or useful in solving problems to express the principle of locality in constructor theoretic language? Sure. Um, first, since the aim of constructor theory is to have a very broad and general framework where you can talk about all the laws of physics, since this is such an important law of physics, like it, it is all, all, almost mandatory to have it in the language of constructor theory. Because if you have a very important law of physics, you want it in constructor theory because it will allow you to do great stuff with constructor theory because then you can talk about uh, in generality of all systems, regardless of if this specific dynamical law has been followed or not. So this is like the first key point that like it's not like you have a choice in constructor theory to either include the principle of locality or not. So, but uh, in, in this sense also, um, like you asked why it's important uh, to express the principle of locality. In, so the question would be, okay, so if you are able to do this without constructive theory, like why do you want constructive theory? Um, the thing is that with constructive theory, you are able to talk about, so with this, I only talked about fermions. What I want is like, a fr uh, I want a framework basically, which I think that constructor theory gives it to me or it will give it to me um, to talk about not only fermions. I want to talk about fermions. I want to talk qubits. I want to talk classical systems. I want to talk bosons, but all at the same time because I want to draw conclusions about if there exist other physical theories or if not, or what are the real general properties of the structure of reality. So what problem in particular are you trying to solve now using Einstein's principle of locality? Okay. Um, now that I have done this with fermions and I'm very convinced and I think it's, it, it has uh, inspired me in some sense um, to propose a, a formulation of uh, how the structure of reality works and how this can be then translated into, um, into constructor theory. Um, so what I will, what I'm aiming at is that to use the principle of locality, the principle of interoperability uh, um, that is very present in the uh, constructor theory of information and the definitions of super information media and uh, information media to basically understand uh, what are all the possible di dynamical laws of physics. Like it's maybe ambitious, but it's also very abstract in the sense that what I want to know is combining these principles, which are the possible systems that adhere to those notions. So, so um, and what are the differences between those systems. So for example, right now we have classical information and quantum information. Um, and what I want to know with this framework and having the principle of locality is exactly what differentiates these two. This is the first thing that I want to do. That is why interoperability principle and the super information media definitions are so important in my future work. Um, but not only know exactly what are so different about them and not only about talking about uh, a lot of physicists do uh, 
computational ability or this sort of stuff, like rather what is different in the structure, what is different on the capabilities of the theory, what is really inherently different uh, between those two. Um, and then I want to pose the question of whether there are different types of information. So if there is something in between classical and quantum information, or if there is something beyond uh, quantum information. So could you define the principle of interoperability and maybe tell us what super information sure. is or a super information medium? Sure, excuse me for that. Um, no problem. So the principle of interoperability, it's a principle that um, it, like as all principles, it, it just makes sense, okay? Um, principle of interoperability, it says that if you have a system that can uh, transport information or can be used for information purpose, purposes, then um, you can, the properties of the information cannot rely on what the system is made of exactly. So for example, let me put an example because uh, I don't know if I'm explaining myself. Uh, let's go back again to the glass of water. Um, if I have a glass in, in top of the table, I can communicate information to you. Um, I can do it because uh, I, we can convene that if the uh, glass is set on the table um, straight, then I will be sending you, this would mean that once you see it, this is a zero. Um, but if I lay it on the table, this would be a one. So I can communicate information. But the principle of interoperability precisely means that what information is, is this ability to transform this state from being on top and on or laying on the table to other types of physical processes that encapsulate the same information. Like for example, you can put it on a, a transistor or you can, I don't know, wave your arm up and down. So it's this ability for systems that they need to have in order to communicate this information. And then uh, for super information media, basically it's, um, First, I, I will need to explain what information media is. Uh, information media is just a way to define information within the realm of constructor theory, which is to only talk about what can be done, what cannot be done. So we will say that the system uh, can have information or can uh, transport information, or however you want to interpret it. Um, if it satisfies two properties, if two tasks can be performed. First is uh, that it has a set of attributes um, that are non-overlapping, so that you can distinguish between like if the glass is up or the glass is down. Um, and more importantly, you have to be able to switch between those. So you have to be able to uh, grab the the glass and put it on top of the table or put it uh, laying down on the table. So you have to be able to, how it's called, to permute, to 
the different attributes of your system. But not only that, you have to be able to copy them. So this is the connection with uh, the principle of interoperability. You have to be able to uh, have another system, for example, your Logan, and with your eyes and detect uh, a class, and be able to get a copy. So like if you see that the glass is on top, then you will write a zero. And if you see that the glass is laying down, you'll write a one. So you have effectively copied the information from the glass to your paper. And now you have two copies of the same information. So if a system is able to perform those two tasks, um, then we say that, um, that uh, it's an information media. Um, and a super information media is a type of information media, as the word suggests, um, that basically it has a special properties that resemble a bit quantum behavior, which basically is that you have uh, some type of uh, variable or observables that um, you cannot measure at the same time one and one and the other. So this in quantum uh, theory, as uh, it's common in like this type of outreach uh, things, it's explained that quantum physics has this property that you cannot measure at the same time. It's the uncertainty principle. Um, at the same time, for example, how fast the car is going and where it is. Uh, so if you can do this for a car, but if you do it for an electron, then you cannot do that. Like either you know exactly how fast the electron was going or either you know exactly where the electron was. Um, so these super information media, it's an information media that has this sort of flavor property of um, knowing whether, um, what's it called? Um, yeah, having these two observables that are not compatible between themselves. So. With the principle of interoperability, the uh, Einstein principle of locality, um, I'm planning to have a framework and to then explain the difference between what a super information media can do or what is the structure within a super information media and with a regular classical information media. So it sounds like you wanna take some of these constructor theoretic principles like the principle of locality the principle yep. of interoperability and also the definition of super information media. And you want to show what physical systems could possibly exist given that these principles hold true. So do you have an exactly. idea? Right. So do you have an idea for the different outcomes of this uh, research project? Yeah, sure. Uh, this would be like a bit cheating, but uh, like there are four possible outcomes, but the, good part is that any of the four, if the task is completed, would be like very exciting to me. Uh, the first is that only quantum and classical systems exist, so that the, there can be only two types of information, which is either the information is classical or either the information is quantum. This would be great because like all the theory, like any physicist in the future proposes, oh, but th there could be a new type of system that is like they're completely to mechanics but is also not classical in information theoretic terms uh, then you can show them this and say no no like you cannot propose that because we know that 
or we expect that this is not the case because we expect these principles to hold true forever. Um, second case uh, is that the quantum scenario is the extreme, like in the sense like it's the weirdest you can get, some sort of, and but then you can have uh, different theories or different types of information between classical information and quantum information. So there is a huge realm, maybe like this is a, a possibility, uh, one of the four, this is the second, um, where you could have a different type of information in between classical and quantum. Why this would be nice? Uh, because like nowadays, for example, uh, a lot of people is focusing on developing quantum information or quantum computation or quantum communication because it has so many advantages versus uh, classical uh, computation communication. But if uh, we are able to find um, this uh, in-between regime, maybe a lot of people in business or like as a society were saying, okay, maybe it's not necessary to go full quantum. Maybe the exact uh, applications or capabilities that we want, it's in one of those in-between theories and it, there's no need to go fully in the quantum case, although I would guess that, uh, I don't know, um, <laughs> I would guess that it's not, like, uh, it's also preferable to have quantum. Um, but I don't know, like you will have new theories to explore and then to check if uh, what physical systems adhere to them and all this sort of stuff. So it opens possibilities. The third is that uh, in between classical and quantum, there's nothing, but you have things beyond quantum. But this could be useful because it will inspire the um, search of dynamical laws of the future. Because right now for our experimental capabilities, we expect to be quantum, that uh, quantum mechanics is general, but they also thought that like in the end of the 19th century. So it would be interesting because also it could be explored if some of the unsolved mysteries of today, like especially on the overlap of quantum mechanics and general relativity, it's, they are not compatible because we are looking at the wrong place. We are looking inside quantum theory and we need to go beyond. Or it could be that the cases two and three combine and this would be even better because you would have both things that you have more richness um, like in the experimental side, uh, like in the business side of uh, information theories, but also you will have it for theoretical physicists who are trying to look between quantum and, and general relativity. Um, but if the classification is successful, uh, and I think, I hope it will be, um, the f what I expect is that the framework it itself, if uh, it gives like one of those uh, scenarios where you have other theories, I think that the framework itself will um, hint you or will tell you what type of dynamical law you will have to have in order to have that, um, that information type uh, or that type of information. So the framework itself will tell you uh, where to look 
or what features you will have to look you you would say okay uh i want like you're saying that this is this exists and there is this uh weird type of information uh where you can do all this sort of stuff but how where i go find that what i have to look for but i believe that if the classification is successful the framework itself would tell you what you have to look for and would inspire uh the search for these other theories so you'll have to formalize constructor theory a lot more to solve this problem and create this classification correct yeah so let's talk a little bit about that so as far as I know now, we have attributes and tasks as being integral concepts in constructor theory. Yes. So if you could tell us what these concepts are and why is their current formulation um, not developed enough for you uh, to succeed now in your research program? Sure. Um, basically, um, attributes are the properties that you, that can be changed under operations. Uh, so physical systems have properties and we call attributes the type of properties that can be changed, for example, or that can yield information about the uh, system. For example, we, if I have an apple, one of the properties, one of the attributes would be being red. This is an attribute and usually physics does not talk in those terms. Like if I have an apple, uh, it would talk about uh, the coordinates of all the constituent particles of the apple, but it will not talk about the attribute of being red, which in itself it can transfer information in the sense of if I show you a green apple or a red apple, uh, it doesn't matter the size or like the position of all the particles or if uh, or, or or anything like we can transfer information only on the basis of if the apple is right or not. So this is an attribute, is a property of the system, broadly speaking. Um, the crucial part of constructor theory are tasks. Tasks are the transformations that you perform that change the attributes of your system, basically. This is what tasks are. They are assignments between um, attributes. And the current formulation of um, what's called of constructor theory, um, what it does is like in order to not assume and to preserve the generality of um, of the framework of the system, what it does is just says that about us. They, they do not put any other mathematical property or constraint into what a task is, rather than an attribute is this um, object, this, this element, and a task is just an assignment between elements, and that's it. Um, this is great to preserve generality, and as it has produced a lot of results using these concepts. But what I'm trying to do in order to provide this classification is just to uh, I'll do it in two fronts. Um, the first is to study these networks, the network of tasks, because at the end, what defines a system is what operations you can perform to it. 
So what you want to study is the network that uh, you have of possible tasks and seeing if the shape of this network is different than trying to classify um, the types of information that that system can encapsulate or not. Um, this is the first thing. And the other thing that I, I'm looking forward to do is using this principle of, um, of locality, then I can have more of a mathematical structure in terms of these assignment that are tasks. So I will not only be able to say A goes to B, I will be able to say A confirms to this specific mathematical formulation, not very specific, but this sort of preserving generality, but at the same time, giving more richness in structure. So A has to be of this form and B has to be of this form. So the task has to preserve this form. So therefore, then I would have uh, a structure, like I, I know I'm saying the word structure too much, um, but I, I will have these properties of the task that can be exploited and can be classified depending on which structure do you have? And as I said, like looking at the global network of uh, tasks, depending on which shape you would have one type of information or the other. And have you found any promising mathematical structures, as you say, that might be the formal language of constructor theory? Yes. So like the answer to my last question, it's not like a guess, it's uh, that's, uh before jumping directly to research, you do like a preliminary survey of what you will be able to do or not. Um, so yes, uh, as I divided in the other question, um, I have found like two promising mathematical concepts that can be used in formalizing constructive theory. The first is uh, using this notion of uh, studying the network of uh, tasks by itself, and this would be using uh, graph theory and network theory and trying to classify different uh, graphs uh, to then lay different information properties. But not only that, um, using the second uh, approach where I'm posing structure in the attributes and in the tasks, um, the form to do that, I believe, is to study the so-called uh, group uh, or posing this uh, structure in the attributes and in the tasks is done basically uh, through group theory. So what we want to study um, is graph theory with the global network of the tasks, but not only that, uh, we want to study it in terms of uh, what group theory can tell us, like, um, that it has to do of how the different um, operations, how the different tasks of your system can combine. Uh, what are the laws of combination between uh, different tasks? Okay, great. Yeah, people are going to be excited about that. I see a lot of people looking into what's the math of constructor theory. So that's nice. Thank you for telling us. Oh, that's great. So. Are there other branches of constructor theory to which you expect your mathematical formalism uh, to apply? And if so, what other open problems might it solve? 
I believe yes, because I, even though I'm focusing on the information theoretic uh, part of constructive theory, um, I believe that formalism would be general enough for uh, all constructive theory to be put in uh, in those terms. Uh, what I would also like to see if there is uh, like once the, the framework is completely developed, if there is um, a more handy way to use uh, notions as tasks or that are not this super abstract rather than you can have some sort of, I will get a bit technical here, uh, isomorphism in the sense of you can have a one-to-one -one assignment uh, between what a task is and some sort of more numerical representation so you can perform calculations or uh, this sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, I believe that the, I expect the formalism will be general enough that it will apply to other parts of constructor theory. And not only that, like having this separation using the Einstein's principle of locality um, gives you a lot of tools for the researchers to like having a mathematical formulation or having a structure when you are dealing with a problem it gives you a stronghold where to start with. Like you can start writing, okay, this is the definition of the stuff I want to explore. Now let's find patterns or let's try to uh, uh, capture mathematically what I want to say about these objects and try to translate it in some sort of an equation or some mathematical relation between those objects that now I have a description for. So I think that Two of the open problems uh, that can be could be solved using this sort of intuition and that formalism would help uh, to tackle um, would be first in the context of uh, constructor theory of thermodynamics in the sense of seeing if from reversible dynamics if you can have an irreversible irreversible task. This is the first thing. So. This, the framework would be important because like, if I have a precise notion of what an attribute is, then I can have a precise notion of what reversible dynamics is. And if I have a, prefer, uh, a precise notion of uh, what mathematical entity represents a task, then I can pose the question of what it means the task for, for be completely irreversible. So, only by having the definition, then you can more or less hint at which would be the relation that you want to answer if the question, if this is possible or not. Um, and another area which I think that it could be great um, is in the notion of constructive life, of the notion of what are the features of the system in order to be self-reproducting. If you have this group notion and you are able to somehow, I don't know, I'm just guessing. Um, if you are able to say uh, a system will have the ability to self-reproduce if these group identities are satisfied, then you can pose that as a mathematical equation for which groups, uh, like which um, group has to be represented uh, in order for this to happen, then you can try to solve that equation. And then you can do two things. First, see if the current systems that you 
know that are self-reproducing are uh, can be described by one of the solutions. And second, what you can do is if there are more solutions, you can try to implement them uh, in the real world and seeing, okay, uh, since I know exactly what it has to do in terms of group theory, this represents group theory in the real world. Therefore, I know that if I do these precise operations, I will grant this system the ability to self-reproduce. Got it. Those are both very exciting developments. I look forward to watching them. Well, Nisetu, it sounds like you're working on a very ambitious research project. Uh, I wish you the best of luck, and I look forward to speaking with you again sometime. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very much. Thank you.